Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and I'm here today with Chandler Vinoy. Hey, hey, it's been a while since you uh, did the intro. I know. No. I know. What? Uh, I'm used to doing it with Ben more, so I think I, um, I, you know, I'm more comfortable. I get it. I get it. I'm, be, I'm being pushed out by our president. It's totally fine, Ben. Okay. okay. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Well, um, I have a, uh, a a longtime friend on the podcast today who uh, you, if the topic of succession is interesting to you, uh, and it should be, no matter what your age or stage or position in ministry, uh, then wow, have have we got a conversation for you today? We have on the podcast Will Heath, um, and he has been uh, in and around the topic of succession for decades at this point. And the the, the thing is, the fun thing is, he can't tell you most of the work that he's done with these churches. Um, but I will tell you, uh, the forward of his new book uh, is uh, is done by Bob Russell. And that book is Embracing Succession, Helping Ministry Leaders Confront the Personal Side of Transition. And I do think it's interesting that you start there, Will, simply because when we all think of change, uh, a lot of us think of the book uh, by Cotter and, you know, leading change. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting, though, is that about 10 years later, after any great book like that comes out, you usually have a follow-up. And the follow-up to Leading Change was one that was called The Heart of Change. And what they said is, hey, yeah, we sold millions of books, but what we realized is um, most people, um, you will get it wrong if you go with the approach of, you know, analyze, think, change. If you go in some logical order, if we all spend time in front of our whiteboard for hours and then we roll it out to the people, um, we're kind of in trouble because it is change has more of an emotional element to it than anything else. And it has to start there. So I love the fact that you're starting uh, with the personal side of transition because in so many instances, uh, we see in our, um, out in the church world that guys will give lip service to succession or they'll have a, uh, a folder that is if I get hit by a bus and, and that is not succession. So talk a little bit, um, just give us a brief overview of, uh, your background a little bit, and then let's get into our questions quickly. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Um, so background, I'll just keep it related to succession planning. 2007, I actually had a, had a, a lunch point with a guy that was a mentor of mine. His name's Steve. And I had just read The 21 Laws of Leadership uh, by John I, Maxwell. Yeah. Yes. And, and he hadn't actually read the book. So I, I called him up <laughs> a couple of weeks. Time. I, I bought him the book. And the 21st law is the law of legacy. Well, Steve was more than double my age. Like I'm, I was 30 or 31 at the time. Steve was in his like 63 or 64. And I gave him that book. The law of legacy was, was something I asked him about. And then I asked him two questions. And that lunch is like, Hey Steve, what does it look like for you to be a pastor when you're no longer the pastor? 
And then number two, have basically my summary of Ecclesiastes chapter two is, hey, how do you, what does the church do to keep the successor from really messing things up, <laughs> right? I mean, how do, how do you keep it from crashing and burning? And, and what I did not realize, uh, you know, my, he's my mentor, he's my friend, no topics were off, talk, were off, off, um, off, off limits. And man, I asked as a 30, 31 year old dude, I, I didn't know the weight of what I was asking. And when I asked those questions, like his countenance literally changed. And I spent the next two, two hours with him at lunch processing the emotion of this conversation. Like it, it really, it really pricked my soul. And I, and I felt like God kind of walked, I walked away with God tapping me on the shoulder saying, Hey, Will, I want you to help Steve. And oh, by the way, there's a bunch of Steve's out there. And so succession just became this filter that I used to take to my professional career. I was a commercial banker at the time and was in a position just to evaluate and see hundreds of transitions in, in both the secular nonprofit space and then also small businesses. And then it just built up. Uh, 2010, Allie and I uh, commissioned the Barna Group to conduct a national survey on the topic of succession. They interviewed 600 pastors on my behalf. Funny story, I took my seminary money and commissioned the Barna Group with that. So I took one, one, one semester of seminary. I'm, I'm officially a seminary dropout. Uh, <laughs> and that's what we use my seminary money for. And then I recommissioned the, the Barna Group to recreate that survey in 2019. And then we expanded on it. And so, man, it's just been, it's been over a decade of just constantly trying to chip away at this conversation, man. It's, I, I, I love older pastors. Um, last thing I'll say about this question is, you know, when, when I first, when this topic first landed on my radar, I'd go to ministry conferences and buy vocational guide, right? Try to get inspiration and learn some stuff, networking. And I noticed that so many conferences were built around this idea of mining wisdom from older leaders or quote unquote, successful pastors and big churches and all in the attempt to help younger leaders understand how to lead well. And I just kept asking the question, like, where's the resource or where is the ministry that is really focused on helping an older generation, understand, an older generation leader understand how to leave well? And that was my mantra. Like, what does that look like? And I didn't see it anywhere. And, and that was really a driving thing. It's like, how do we help, you know, how do we help an older generation of leaders wrestle down a significant transition in their life. And many of these older leaders, I mean, we're standing on, on the platforms they built for us as younger guys. And, and I'm like, man, I think we owe a debt of gratitude. I think we owe it to our older leaders to resource them to help them navigate a season of transition. So, I mean, that really is the, the, the heartbeat, the drive behind what I've been trying to been do over the last 14 years. Hmm. Well, Will, thanks for all the work that you've done. And we're excited, you know, just even hearing there's data behind what you do. There's many, many years of experience. So thanks for, for joining us and for us being able to, to tap into that wisdom. So as we jump in here, you know, there's, there's probably some listening who go, this is a great podcast that I'm going to send to somebody who is further along. And sure. the reality is it's like, actually, you need to listen for yourself and prepare now. So why is succession something you should prepare for now, not when you're about to transition? Yeah, I, the, the, it's poor stewardship not to. I mean, if you really think about the 
you know, we serve God. We serve a God that that Acts 17, Paul tells us one of the ways he describes God on Mars Hill as the author of Kairos. He's the author of season. So what God is doing is he's literally writing history, moving history to a conclusion. And God is putting these Kairos, these seasonal moments. And so to, to not lead and behave in a way that recognizes the seasons that we are in as human beings is, is poor stewardship, right? I mean, so many times leaders talk about stewardship through time, talent, treasure. Those, those conversations are important. They're critical. We should, we should lean into those. But another important aspect of how we steward um, is discerning the seasons that we as leaders are in, discerning the seasons that our organizations are in, like the men of Ishikar and Chronicles, or I say we should be like the men of Ishikar who were wise in their times and understood how they should, what Israel should do. And so the first answer is one, it's just poor stewardship, not to be prepared. Um, and and that, that is, that's kind of hard to say for me to say, like I can say it on a podcast and it's really clinical and it's safe to say that here, but, but I, I really do mean it, but not as a challenge to an older group of leaders, but as a younger leader, we really depend and, and rely on older leaders understanding how to steward their transitions because their transitions when it goes well, set us up for continued advancement of, of kingdom initiatives. But when, when older leaders don't transition and steward well, it actually does harm to, to, the, to the kingdom advancement. And so I think, it's, I think it's boils down. It's a, it's a massive stewardship issue. The other thing that I'll say is, I, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the, heard this analogy or seen the math behind it, but there, you know, the, that an average size woman wearing high heels, there is the pressure, the pounds per square inch that are displaced at the point where her heel hits the ground is actually greater than with the pounds per square inch where an elephant foot pad hits the ground. And so what, what, what happens in this conversation is all of the weight of this conversation, all of the force of this conversation actually goes to the point of the handoff. We, we think in leadership terms and transition, the baton metaphor is such a driving metaphor, but what, what happens when we think that way is all the pressure, it's like that woman's heel, all goes to the point of handoff. And that point of handoff is not designed to bear the weight of this conversation. So one of the reasons, it's kind of a, a thesis for me, uh, kind of an, an axiom, if you will, one of the reasons why we see failures in succession planning is because leaders don't redistribute the weight that they're applying in this company. We bring all the weight of the conversation to a singular point and we associate succession with search, it, but succession is bigger than just a search process. And all of the weight of this comes to a singular point. And I think one of the reasons it's important to start sooner is to redistribute the weight of the conversation. So it takes so much more pressure off of that point in time. Wow. That's, and so it's, we have to, we have to be good stewards. Um, we, we have to redistribute the weight of this conversation. And, and there's practical things that you can do to do that. But I would say uh, why you should prepare now was poor stewardship not to. And number two, it helps redistribute the weight of it as we get closer to that point in time. So what are some, well, you mentioned 
you know, the practicality of it. What's, what's one or two things from a practical standpoint that you can do to redistribute that weight? Yeah. Uh, one, I would say just have a constant, a constant discipline of risk management and risk assessment organizationally. You know, one of the, one of the differences between working with not working with for-profit businesses or even large nonprofits compared to local churches or smaller nonprofits or faith-based ministries is there, there's not a discipline of risk management within the, the typical nonprofit in the, in a for-profit business, you know, they, in their staffing structure, they'll hire compliance officers. They hire people whose job it is, is to constantly assess organizational risk in the church and nonprofit space. We typically hire people to facilitate programming or raise money. Right. So, so many churches don't have an ongoing rhythm and ability to assess risk. And so I would say that's a, that's a, that's a massive piece is, is having some way, having some system where we come in at least every three to five years, assessing risk, having honest conversations, looking at things like governance, facilities, finances, programming structures, staffing, you know, core things like that, understanding and really assessing, are we, are we really, um, do we understand our core values? Are we operating according to our core values? Do we understand what our overall strategy is and how we move the ball, missional ball forward? You know, make, understanding, do we have a trajectory? Are we, do we have a compelling picture of where God is leading us? You know, assessing those things every three to five years will go a long way in helping address risk to the church. So, so that way, when you get into the moment, the, the season of transition, when the baton metaphor actually comes into play, now we don't have to, we've already distributed the weight, so to speak, going back to that other metaphor of risk assessment. And now we're not discovering problems at the point of the handoff, right? We, we've assessed that for a while. A practical story with this, literally a couple of months ago, having a conversation with a church down in Austin, Texas, won't say who or what, it's not Austin proper, but it's in that region of the country. Okay. Um, man, we're in a, we're in a meeting with, with some, with some leaders of the church and it comes out They're They're literally in the search process. Right. And it comes out two people in the church are the only ones that know what I'm about to tell you. Okay. They have a million dollars worth of deferred maintenance related to their boiler system, a million dollar deferred maintenance. It had been an issue for a while, but only two people in the leadership team knew. And literally what they said was, well, we didn't want to say anything because we didn't want to tell any of the peak candidates during the search process. I mean, like, like that conversation, like having, like that's a facilities risk assessment kind of conversation, but they were literally deferring that because they, because they just didn't want to tell anyone. And like, that's the kind of thing where new leaders step in, all of a sudden the weight of that hits them in that moment. And now they want to, they want to, you know, raise money to go move the missional ball forward, but they can't because they got to raise a million dollars to pay for deferred maintenance on a boiler, right? It's that ongoing facilities type of risk assessment that, that, that could have been addressed literally years ago. Right. But now they're in the point of transition. They pushed it forward, kicked the ball down the road. And, and here you go. There's pressure being exacted at the point of transition that shouldn't have been because they just didn't have a system to assess some things that really should have been pretty easy to at least name. Hmm. 
you know, even as you're saying that, you know, having those constant risk conversations or just even getting people to think in that way. Uh, I, I know that if you're a pastor listening, there might be this like, oh, I'm like nervous to tell anybody that in five to seven years, that's where my mind is. And it, yeah. it may not be on anybody else's radar. Right. Um, how, how would you suggest to a pastor to bring this up so that they can have those type of conversations Yeah. and how should they manage? Like, cause it's easy to be like, I know we need to do this, but I also am nervous to tell people right. that, Hey, I'm, I'm thinking about I'm yeah. on the way out. How yeah. and who, how and who that's a great yeah. question, Chandler. And, and what is crazy as this may sound, even, you know, my book is embracing succession, right? I talk about succession planning. Uh, but I often tell my pastors don't use the word succession. Uh, it's, it's not a helpful word because it means so many things to different people. You know, a leader doesn't have to signal that they're thinking about transition in five to seven years to start doing an organizational assessment. Right. But they can do that in the back of their brain, knowing that they're organ knowing that they're coming up to transition, but they can still lead the church to do a discipline of organizational assessment ahead of time. Right. Um, pastors can have candid conversation with their boards. And if you're a board member listening to this, I just want to tell you, it's a lot easier if you initiate the retirement planning, like financial planning conversation with your pastor than it is for your pastor to initiate that. But but one of the reasons why pastors defer this conversation is because they just can't afford to retire. Right. And so boards can have conversations about financial planning, retirement, how do we play catch up with pastors that maybe um, haven't been able to contribute to retirement accounts? Those conversations can happen now. Um, something like writing an emergency succession planning policy, actually having something written down that is bigger than just, hey, hey, pastor, if you get hit by a bus, right? I mean, I can, I can put emergency succession planning policies in place today. As a pastor, I can I can have conversations with the board to make sure that that we're contributing to a retirement account. And and we have so a lot of churches listening where pastors don't have the money to do that. It's not in the budget. We'll have a candid conversation and see if 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 pastor can do some bivocational work to start building a retirement account. Right? You you can't you can't play catch up with that um, when you're in your fifties and sixties. You you have to continually do that. Um, doing organizational assessments, I can do all of those things and never even signal, hey, I'm thinking about transitioning in five years or seven years, mm -hmm. right? But those are all succession plan. All of those conversations influence the succession planning conversation. They're all practical things ministries can do today without even evoking that word, right? Mm -hmm. That's good. Before we get back to the podcast, let's talk about time and how 24 hours never seem to be enough to get everything done. As a church leader for a growing church, you eventually realize that you can't do everything on your own, not well anyway. Your job is to be the visionary, but instead you spend countless hours on tasks that could easily be done and arguably done better by someone else. And that's where the powerful multiplying effects of delegation prove mission critical. Our friends at Belay, the organization revolutionizing productivity with their virtual assistant, bookkeeping and social media strategist services for growing churches, know the demands on church leaders all too well. In fact, their first client was a pastor and they've continued to serve them every day for the last 10 years. 
Belay is offering a free download to all our podcast listeners of their delegation worksheet and guide to help you determine what only you can do and what should be delegated so you can get back to what really matters, fulfilling your purpose. Just text LIFEWAY to 55123. That's L-I-F-E-W-A-Y to 55123 for your free download. You're now one step closer to reclaiming precious time every week to do what only you can do. Now, back to the podcast. Well, you know, succession, unfortunately, uh, doesn't always go well. I mean, there are uh, probably more stories than there's probably more bad stories than good about the transition. And, and of course, your work is to make sure that that doesn't happen. But what are some common mistakes that you see along the way that that kind of end up that lead to that poor transition? Yeah. Well, let me let me back up real quick. And I, I just I want to push back gently if you'll let me, Chandler. Um, man, the church, leaders have been transitioning for thousands of years in the church, right? The idea that more transitions go bad than good, I actually think is this thing that gets said and it becomes this echo chamber that we keep telling ourselves. I actually don't agree with that. I, I think I think the proof is in the pudding. We've been transitioning. The church has yeah. been transitioning for a long time. And, and I think what happens is it's like Channel 8 News, you know, at night, right, where the thing that gets televised is the train wreck right? Or the, the car that crashed, but we don't tell the story of the millions of people driving down the road that make it to their destination safely. Right. So I actually disagree. I don't think most transitions go poorly. I think most of them actually go well. We just hear about all the train wrecks. Um, but some, some of the common mistakes I would say is, is the biggest one is like, I, is the, is we don't start the conversation early enough. We, we tightly, we too tightly associate succession with search. We associate succession planning with search, and I want to destroy that connection. Search is a piece of an overarching succession planning process, but search does not drive this conversation. In fact, in 2019, I commissioned the Barna Group to do, I commissioned them in 2010, recommissioned them in 2019. One of the questions that we, we gave pastors six areas to rank, basically say the six areas, what are the top two areas that are your top two biggest concerns right now, right? The search conversation, like how how do we hire a successor, regardless of how you split it up, pastors retiring within six or transitioning within six months, two years, within five years, uh, regardless of how you split it up by denomination, whether they're Methodists or Southern Baptists or you know Lutherans or whoever, regardless of how you cut the data, the search conversation never broke into the top three of the air, top two areas listed as a top two concern. The highest it placed was the third highest, meaning the third highest votes as a top two concern. What that tells me is pastors are asking different questions that are that inform the search process. But when you get in, you start asking pastors and you give them options. Hey, what are you concerned about? They're not going to the search conversation primarily. And so disconnecting this idea, being able to see succession planning more broadly than just the search is going to, is going to unlock so much with pastors and ministry leaders. Um, I, I think so starting the conversation early, dislocating this connection between succession and search, right? That, that's going to help. 
Um, honestly, for our pastors out there, I would say one of the biggest mistakes, one of the most common mistakes when we see transitions that struggle is pastors forget to apply their theology. They've been teaching their churches for decades. We, we, they don't cast their faith forward. They cast their fear forward. They, 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 they don't, um, they don't lead this conversation with confidence and trust in the Lord. And, 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 and I, in some ways, and I get it, like I'm, I'm in my mid forties at this point. Um, I cannot relate to the emotion associated with a transition. I'm not going to pretend to do that. Uh, but I do want to say to older leaders, this is the perfect season for you to model what you've been teaching us for decades and how to trust Lord, the Lord in our transitions as we move forward. And so I think that is, that is a common theme where pastors start, start casting their fear forward when really what we need them to do and model for us is how to cast our faith forward. One of the things I hear from pastors and ministry leaders a lot is I don't want to say something because then I'll become a lame duck. And, and that's just not true. When, when pastors with humility and grace and courage take a proactive stance in the conversation, more times than not, their stock rises in the church. Now, but here's what, here's what, here's the shadow side of why pastors get afraid of cast, of announcing it too soon is because they don't have a, or, a, an organizational discipline of risk management. So all of the problems aren't identified. So when you see pastors signal, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about transition, what happens at that point, everybody is given permission to start talking about the problems. See, transitions don't create problems as much as they expose them. And so when a pastor says, hey, I'm thinking about transition, really what, they're, what, what the underlying issue is, I think there's fear that all of the unaddressed problems get exposed. But when a pastor has a, when, when a ministry has an ongoing discipline of risk management and assessment and they're in their, have a, have a way to courageously address problems, those pastors can stand up and say, Hey, I'm, I, I want to prepare the ministry for the day I'm no longer leading it. I've seen pastors do that formally five, six, seven years in advance. Uh, one of my pastor, one of my churches, they're in the Pennsylvania area. The founding pastor announced his retirement in the fall. That year, their Christmas missions offering was the largest missions offering that, it, that they had ever had. And they launched as part of their succession plan, a capital campaign, and they had more commitments than the capital campaign company thought they would have. But, but it's this idea that we don't, that we can't, talk about and prepare the people for transition, it's just simply not true. Like it's it's one of those fallacies that we get so afraid of this conversation. I'm like, no, it's it's I think it's a big mistake and a misstep by a lot of pastors. They just don't have the courage. They don't know how to talk about it in a way to unlock momentum and to unlock something in the people. And they shy away from it and they miss their opportunity to set the tone for the transition. Well obviously being in this space for this long um you probably have a really good idea of both the sacred and secular resources uh, on this mm -hmm. subject in particular. Um, while I, I would say you invested well, uh, sir, in that uh, everything turned out all right with you uh, not getting a seminary degree and investing in, in, in still investing in the church and in the kingdom. Um, you know, you've had to read a lot. And I know yeah. from talking to you, you're like, Hey, 
there's a lot of great stuff out there. Um, why don't you share some of those? Again, it doesn't have to be on the church. It could be just a really good resource from somewhere else. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, I saw this question, obviously, in preparing for the podcast. And so I, I actually pulled out my Cotter books, one you've already mentioned, right? Leading Change. And then the follow-up to that, anything yeah. by John Cotter is going to give incredible tactical perspective, but it's going to require some translation to apply for the church world. But I think anything Cotter you read is a must. Um, I, I would also say another secular resource is Marshall Goldsmith. It's a little book called Succession. Are you ready? It's written to the C-suite, like CEOs, CFOs, CIOs, um, a chief operating officer type folks within, within an organization. But the principles and the concepts in there are outstanding. It's, it's an easy read, and it really does speak to the heart issue that so many, that so many um, writings just honestly shy away from. Within the church, I'll give you one. The oldest resource that I'll give you that is fantastic is, you know, is, is Joel Gregory, Too Great a Temptation. If you can get your hands on this book, um, my goodness, it is now it's one person's story into what became kind of kryptonite or the thing every pastor wanted to avoid in America. I mean, you got First Baptist Dallas, you have two pastors, almost 100 years, like the next 16 years, they had like seven or eight pastors, if you include interims, like the transition from Chriswell to Gregory was it wasn't good. And reading Joel Gregory's perspective of what he had to step into as the successor, man, I, I think it is, I think it is an incredible read into the lack of organizational risk assessment that that had taken place in the previous leadership tenure. And, and I would say go back and read that book. Another one. Um, that I would say is, and this is not a succession planning book. Uh, many of your listeners are probably familiar with Kerry Newhoff. He had a book that he wrote a while ago called Leading Change Without Losing It. It is, it is a communications book. It is easy to read. I have, I will not let people borrow this book because I've written so much, taken so many notes out of this thing. But the, but the wise, man. <laughs> dude, the principles in here that Carrie talks about just about transition in general in the communication pieces. And it, it really is. This, this is, this is a true gift to the church, man. He, he has, he, there's so much wisdom in it. And Bob Russell, you mentioned Bob wrote the forward for my book. Bob has, has just been very gracious and kind to me in this, this succession planning conversation, his book transition plan, the, the insights, the wisdom, the humility that Bob has. I mean, he, you read that book, um, you know, there's, there's the, there's the persona or the picture that you see in books. And then there's the real person, right? Bob is a better man than is what is portrayed in the book. And that's a man. He's, he's just, he's just a good, good man. And so his book is just chalk of wisdom. But the thing that I love so much about it is I've gotten to know he and Miss Judy over the last few years, really since 2013 or 2012. And man, he's, he's just a real deal. And I mean, we need, we need to learn from, from guys like Bob and his book is, is incredible. Yeah, we had Bob, uh, when we did our pipeline conference about succession, Bob was a, a keynote speaker for us twice. And he, you know, 
just yeah. had everybody laughing with, you know, just the material. And it's so much of where he's just poking fun at himself. But and you just see the humility. Yeah. But then also when you read his story and uh, I think actually I may be wrong on this, but I think and you can probably correct me, Will. But I think when he decided, hey, we need to talk about succession here at Southeast. Part of that was him reading the book, Too Great a Temptation. And uh, he was sitting there and he's like, we I don't want this to happen with the church that we're leading. We want this to be a great transition. So, yeah, that was absolutely part of it. I've actually talked to several guys that have that read the book too great a temptation and said, I don't want that to be my story for my successor. Right. It's um, yeah. Another one you had, you also had the presence of a guy like Dave stone that if they didn't do the transition, Dave was going to go somewhere. I mean, it just, that was, that was a reality. So, I mean, think about that for a second, right? Bob Russell seeing the seasonal reality, seeing such an incredibly gifted leader, like a guy like Dave Stone said, okay, I'm willing to step aside and move my timeline up so that the church can benefit from Dave Stone's leadership long-term. I mean, the humility to step away from that. I mean, that, that says a lot about who Bob Russell is. Absolutely. Well, you kind of, you kind of brought that up of, of Dave Stone taking over after Bob Russell uh, and there's for every transition, you know, oftentimes we only think of the one transitioning out, but there is also a successor who is stepping in and is yeah. oftentimes filling big shoes. Uh, the church loved their their former pastor. It's like, we'll see if this guy lives up to what we're hoping for. And uh, yeah. kind of a term. And I know, Will, you said that you corrected me on this, that they they, they go better than we think they often do. But there is a term yeah. called the yeah. sacrificial lamb of you come in and yeah, you're the successor yeah. of the long tenured pastor. You're going to be the guy. And th- then you're, in a few years, yeah. you're going to be out. So how can yeah. the successor step in into this transition into a new role and follow a long tenured pastor? Well, what have you seen from your experience? Well, I'll tell you the case study for this in my, in my, in my experience is Tim Dunn following Jeff Adams at Graceway church in in uh, Kansas City, Missouri, like there, that is the template. Um, Jeff Adams, very few people know who he is. You will hear a story if you read my book. Um, Tim Dunn's transition, like it is, it is a masterclass on how a leader can transition out and how a new leader can transition in. It is a masterclass. That is a case study. Every successor stepping into a church needs to spend time with Tim Dunn and just pick his brain. Um, but practically, if you can't get Tim on the phone, let's say ask, ask better questions going in. Um, I think, I think um, there is sometimes when, when pastors, when new pastors step into a transition situation, sometimes I feel I was, I've talked to a lot of these guys they feel starry eyed a little bit because they're so excited about the opportunity to step in. Maybe it's their first pastorate or they're in a smaller church. They're moving to a bigger church. I think sometimes they get so enamored with the possibility of the position that they don't, they don't ask the questions they need to ask going into the interview, right? The pat, the church isn't just interviewing the candidate. The candidates should be interviewing the, the church as well. And so ask better questions, um, ask questions about facilities and deferred maintenance, right? I mean, are, are you, do you have money in the bank to address deferred maintenance issues? How, how are the facilities? When you go on site, inspect the facilities, right? Ask tough questions. Um, 
you know, make sure you understand if you're following a long tenured leader and they want to stay and be a part of the church. I love that scenario. I, I man, I love it when I see that happen. But if I'm a if I'm a new leader, I'm an outs, external successor stepping in, and they want to do an overlap, and the pastor wants to be there, be in the community, and stay in the community. Don't be afraid of that. But one of the questions that I would be asking is, hey, can you tell me a time? Like, give me give me the names of people that you've mentored and helped develop younger leaders. You've helped develop and helped launch in their ministry career. Um, if you don't have a pastor, if you're following a pastor that doesn't have the history of developing and launching leaders, then let me tell you, you I, I would I would think I would think twice, or I would I would ask a lot of questions about the overall culture that you're stepping into, right? Um, you know, asking questions, you know, uh, governance, um, decision making process, polity structures, right, uh, facilities. Um, programming. Do, does the church have any self-awareness about what types of programs are effective or ineffective? Or do they have self-awareness of that? If they don't have self-awareness of where they're, where they're killing it or where they're being killed, right? If they, if where, they're, where things are going well or where things aren't going well, if the leaders in the church don't have self-awareness to strengths and weaknesses, I would tell that that successor, don't go to the church. But because because here's what's going to happen, right? That new leader is going to step in, and they're not they're not they're they don't have the blinders of relationship or familiarity or whatever, and it's like they're going to walk in and they're going to see the spots on the floor, they're going to see the bad lighting, they're going to see all the stuff that's broken. It's going to stand out to them immediately. And what happens when that takes place? The new guy that's the outsider that has no relational equity is the person that starts naming what has been broken this whole time, but nobody else saw. And when a new leader steps into that situation, they run the risk of, of, of unintentionally setting a relationship fracture there. And, but if, if, if a ministry is not self-aware uh, or have any conviction or understanding of what they're, what they're, what's going well, what's not going well. And, and, and successors coming in, they can't just ask, hey, what are your strengths and your weaknesses? That's a poorly phrased question. You have to get more granular in your questioning. You have to be more specific in your question asking so that you can get into more detailed responses, right? And so I, I just say, you know, <laughs> ask a lot of questions, right? Um, talk to previous staff talk to current staff as part of the interview process. I think that's going to go a long, a long way to helping successors understand whether or not they're going to be a fit. The other thing I would say is for the successors stepping in and the people in the interview process, I would say do a, do a pretty deep gut check to make sure that you are making, that you have enough self-awareness of how God's wired you, how God's gifted you to understand whether or not the position you're stepping in is you'll be able to wear your armor or Saul's armor kind of thing. I think a lot of, a lot of new leaders, they get excited about the position and they're willing to wear Saul's armor, so to speak, in the new position because they objectify the position. Well, they get in there and they're wearing somebody else's armor and they're not effective and it becomes frustrating over time. And and, and, and I just, I think that creates problems long-term. Well, Will, thank you so much for your time today and just sharing about your wisdom yeah, around succession, transitions, and just even preparing for that before you really even think you need to. And for you listening, thanks for joining us. We hope this has been helpful to you and your leadership. 
If it has, head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review to help other leaders find the podcast. And if you want to prepare for succession, maybe it's not even on your radar yet, but you need to kind of have the right frame of mind. You're going to want to check out Will He's book, Embracing Succession. And we'll see you next time. Thank you.